You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey Glad to be here. Really thankful for Claire. Really sad that she couldn't be here, but so excited for where she is right now. So, yeah, just really excited to, to join you guys. My name's Harlan. Like she said, she stole a little bit of my intro, but that's all right. Uh, my wife and I, Cam, get the pleasure of working with college students at UC Riverside. Uh, and it's just, it's just a joy to be able to, to minister and to come back to a place that was so sweet to me. So this room in the B building at HSM was the first place I ever heard about the name of Jesus. And so it is just so exciting uh, to be back here and to be able to serve in that same space. So I've got a couple pictures to make the intro a little bit more fun, too. So uh, for our first one, this is senior year. This is me and a bunch of my buddies. You might recognize some of them. Uh, but that was us, senior year here at HSM, celebrating getting ready for going on to the next chapter of our lives in college. Uh, but yeah, I was just so grateful for how this sweet group of friends was willing to bring me in, never having any sort of church background, uh, and getting to just feel loved and a, a part of a sweet community and get to hear about Jesus for the first time. So that was kind of my intro to HSM, was first time my senior year of high school. Uh, after that, I would get to go to college, uh, be really thankful for who I would run into, which would unknowingly to me, to me would be the navigators, uh, where I would be able to get built up in my faith, really be convinced of needing to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, and deciding after my freshman year that I wanted to get baptized. Uh, and so that's, that's Eric, Pastor Eric, uh, baptizing me in my backyard. Uh, and yeah, I know he's got hair right there. He looks way different. Uh, but yeah, just really grateful uh, for that as well. Uh, and because of my thankfulness for the church and the ministry here, uh, I got an opportunity to come back and to serve as an intern uh, in 2018. And so our next picture uh, is just a picture of our little summer Bible study. Uh, it was Philippians and a pool party. And you might recognize some of the folks up there too. So it's just always sweet to see who sticks around, who gets blessed, and who is willing to invest their lives in others afterwards too. So uh, this was for sure one of my highlights of interning. Uh, and it was a blessing to get to spend time with people like Christina and Teresa and others that you might know there. Uh, and so lastly, I know you guys just got back from summer camp, which is really fun. Uh, this is a picture of us with the Navigators also at Forest Home. We did not see any bears that I know of, uh, but we also had a great time. And so Forest Home also places a, a dear place in my heart too. And so just really excited for those of you that did get to go and how much it got to just be a blessing to the many of you. So yeah, tonight uh, I will get an opportunity to continue our series of Come and See, uh, Experiencing Jesus Through the Gospel of Mark. And I'll get to address what is it that is so worth it. Uh, there is a cost to following Jesus, but I, I, can, I can tell you firsthand, uh, it is very, very worth it. Uh, for me, before I came to HSM, uh, I had been selling my life to basketball. Uh, I discovered it in elementary school. Uh, I be, be quickly fell in love and got obsessed at the same time. It was what drew a lot of my time and my attention through elementary school, middle school, and high school. Uh, and as I wanted to progress more and more, uh, it continued to slowly ask more of me. Uh, it was taking time away from friends, away from family, long practices after hours, trying to eat a bunch of sandwiches so I could try and put on some weight as I, as I you know, try to progress on the team, adjusting my sleeping schedule. It was a lot of investment uh, that would go into serving basketball as my idol at the time. 
And I had really thought and dreamed of, for most of my life, that it would be worth it. Uh, that all of this investment would turn into some wonderful moment. Uh, and by God's grace, I was able to experience some of the things that I was hoping for. Uh, I ended up accomplishing way more in my high school basketball than I had really thought would be possible. Uh, and I would end up hitting a buzzer beater in a playoff game, which just felt like a celebrity moment. Uh, and so God did give me everything that I was hoping for at the time. But after a few days on campus, the buzz slowly started to die down of what had really happened. Uh, and it felt amazing for a few days, but was it really worth selling my life for a few days of enjoyment? And I realized, wow, if I want to experience that, I have to do that again? There's gotta be more to life than this. And so not everything we give our lives to and invest our resources in is worth it. Uh, many things are, are cruel masters. They make you false promises telling you that they're going to deliver and they won't. Uh, but I hope to convince you tonight that, that Jesus is worth selling everything for. Uh, the cost is extremely worth it. And so I think every person has to deal with the question of who is the person of Jesus and what does that mean for my life? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to come and, and to serve and to be a blessing. I pray that we would see you in new, intimate ways. Uh, would we come to the same conclusion that Peter does? Uh, would we see you in all of your glory and your majesty and really decide that you're so worth it? Would your spirit just move radically in the room tonight? Would, would people just be so thankful for who you are and your character? And Lord, would you just be with us? Would we, would we experience you in your name? Amen. Great. If you've got your Bible in front of you, go ahead and pry open to Mark 8. We'll start in verses 27, and our, our passage through the night will go through verses 27 through 38 in Mark 8. And we'll just take it on a, a chunk at a time. We'll start with Mark 8, 27 through 30. Uh, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. And here's our golden question for the night. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Two big questions here. Who do people say I am? And, and who do you say I am? Some thought Jesus was John the Baptist, some Elijah, some another prophet. There wasn't clear consensus from the crowds and those that weren't super personally close to him as to who he really was and what he was really about. Uh, yeah, to think of another prominent figure that you might know a lot about if you're a fan of basketball is uh, Michael Jordan. I could tell you a lot about Michael Jordan. He was drafted in 84. He won 10 scoring titles. Many believe him to be the best basketball player of all time. Played a few seasons, won some championships, retired, came back out of retirement, won some championships, retired, came back out of retirement. It sounds really wild, but uh, he couldn't settle for not continuing to play the game. Uh, I've even been to a Michael Jordan camp. Uh, I got to go to Michael Jordan flight school when I was in high school. Uh, he signed a basketball for me. I got to shake his hand. I got to stand up and ask him a question. And I asked him, what is your favorite moment from your career? 
And if you want to know that, feel free to come up to me afterwards, and I'll, I'll disclose the good news there. Uh, but I have gotten to interact with Michael Jordan in a number of different ways, from afar, with preconceived notions. Uh, but truthfully, I don't actually know Michael Jordan. I don't have a relationship with Michael Jordan. I know a lot of things about him. I've heard about him from others. I've observed him myself. Uh, but without personal experience, I don't know the character of who he is or what his life is really about. And so that's kind of like what I think the, the crowds are like, being confused as to who Jesus might actually be. But then Jesus asks Peter, someone who has spent regular time with him, who do you say I am? And Peter, who is able to experience him for himself, doesn't just call him another prophet or someone that's wise and learned and helpful or good to hear from. He confesses him as Messiah. A Messiah just means savior, that he is the one that has come to save, that has been thought about and proclaimed for so long. You are the Messiah. That is who you are. There's a, there's a desperation in this answer. Uh, it suggests a lot more from Peter's own life than for him to just be wise and learned. Uh, there, there's a great difference from someone being a teacher that you would ask a question, try to learn from, uh, and decide what you want to do with the answer uh, versus feeling like you're in need of saving and you're cast away in the sea, floundering, waiting for someone to come and throw you a life preserver to, to, to come take care of you. There's a big difference in him being proclaimed as not just a teacher or just a prophet, but the Messiah, the Savior, now you might ask, uh, why does Peter need a savior? And we'll get there as we continue on in the passage. But uh, first I wanna ask you personally, who do you say Jesus is? Have you experienced him? Have you experienced the savior, the savior up close and personal? Have you simply heard about him from others? Have your experiences with him just been at a worship service or from friends or what they tell you about Jesus or what you read and you look up, have you experienced him personally? Have you experienced him through the scriptures? When you're in God's word, does it feel like you're learning about someone or does it really feel like you're hearing from the living God who wants to know you and enjoy a relationship together? God's asking you the same question. Who do you say I am? Peter saw Jesus as more than just a miracle worker or a prophet sharing truth, more than a teacher, more than a friend, more than a wise man. But our first point is Peter knew Jesus to be the Messiah, the Savior. He knew Jesus to be the Messiah. And so let's see how Jesus plans to do that. How will he serve as the Messiah? Uh, we'll continue down to verses 31 through 33. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, to correct him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said to Peter. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, the Savior, just as Jesus said, must be suffering, be rejected, and be killed, and rise again. That doesn't sound like what I would naturally have thought of uh, for a savior, for someone to come in and save the day. And so Peter was right in a way, 
Uh, he was correct that, that Jesus was the Messiah, but he, he wasn't imagining it in the same situation in which Jesus was the witch actually come and serve as the Messiah. He's imagining uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Avengers coming in, taking care of Thanos, saving the day, everyone's happy, everyone's pleased, and storming the castle. Uh, but that was not how the humble son of God was going to come and save the world. Uh, Jesus was not coming to just defeat the Romans like Peter had imagined. Jesus was coming to defeat sin and death itself for all of humanity for the rest of time. It was so much bigger than what Peter had imagined. And so why must Jesus experience suffering, rejection, and death? Uh, first of all, we see it prophesied in passages uh, written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. If we look at Isaiah 53, that is a wonderful place to look at so much of a depiction of Jesus going to the cross. If you're not familiar with that passage, please read and just stare and look for Jesus. Uh, it's unbelievable to me. This passage was written 700 years before Jesus ever came, Isaiah 53. Uh, and I tagged a, a few verses that can hopefully correlate to what we just saw written in Mark. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, uh, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, that sounds familiar. Uh, verse seven, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Verse nine, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. I see a lot of the same things that we just saw in that Mark passage, that he must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. And so we see it shown in prophecy from long ago, that 700 years at least beforehand, uh, it was written about him that someone would come and someone would have this experience. And Jesus doing this, not coming in like the Avengers, but coming in as a humble servant and living life this way, uh, this is how he would save us and how he would actually serve as Messiah. You see, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, of God's perfect standard. And the wage or the earning of sin is spiritual death. That you, me, the rest of humanity, as we sin and we live in perfect lives, we earn for ourselves separation from a relationship with God and to be in hell forever. That's scary. That is the truth. That is the predicament that every person is in. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even though you, I, and the rest of humanity deserve to be on the cross for the sin we've committed, uh, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He was not imperfect, no sin, so he incurred no penalty and he perfectly lived up to the law and so he earned for himself all of the righteous rewards that should come with that. But what he would decide to do is instead of receiving glory when he came, he would decide to take your place on that cross. That the payment that you owe that is ever growing each and every day uh, would get placed on him when he died and was crucified. So that you, for those that believe, could have their payment cleared. Isaiah 53, again, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. 700 years earlier, the punishment that brought us peace, we were enemies of God before Jesus came in for us. Uh, we were not friends. We were separated from him. And Jesus gives us opportunity to be back in relationship. By his wounds, we are healed. God sacrificed his beloved son to have us back. He had to suffer. He had to be rejected. He had to be killed for this sake. And the passage also says that he had to rise again on the third day. Uh, that he resurrected to provide a way for new life, to defeat sin and death, and to provide a new opportunity to live a different way. 
When God resurrected Jesus from the dead, he declared the payment approved. The payment for your bill of sin was declared righteous and acceptable. And Jesus would live a new life that you and I could also. He would rise again. But this salvation, uh, it, it's strictly by grace alone. Uh, just like I mentioned earlier, we're in this sin predicament where when I live for myself and for selfish reasons and live in rebellion to God, me trying to do good has no chance of outweighing the bad because I'm not dealing with this. I'm trying to add goodness over here and deal with the scales, but there is no scale because the sin is rising so high, higher than we can even imagine that it can't be dealt with without an atoning sacrifice by Christ. And so, for it is by grace that you have been saved, not by works that no man can boast. It's grace alone that you're able to receive this gift. Jesus pays the price in our place. That's why he had to be rejected and suffer and die. And all one has to do to, to cross the bridge of salvation and receive this free gift uh, is believe in Jesus and repent from your current way of life. That's all it takes. Would you believe in what he accomplished and what he did for you? And would you look to live life in a different way? He can't be your savior without being your Lord. He must sit on the throne of your life as well. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you must say yes to a new master. This is the cost. To, to lay it all down for his sake, to, to receive him as savior, means to also place him as Lord in your life. And if you do that, you're immediately adopted into God's family. You go from, from sinner to saved, from enemy to friend. You are reconciled. You have peace with God. The rest of your life, no matter what you do, any wrong you commit, he has forgiven and he's shown you grace and he doesn't hold you to it. There is no doghouse in God's family. God wants to show you grace now and for the rest of your days. And all you have to do is believe and repent. And so the second point is that Jesus endured suffering, rejection, and death himself to defeat sin and death forever for all who would believe. And this glorious gospel, this is why we then obey God and we follow him. We'll go on to verses 34 through 38. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You see, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, uh, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So just as we were getting at, as we were laying out the gospel, uh, for him to be Messiah, Jesus asks for a full surrender in response to the gospel. You must deal with the question because it has many implications. Who do you say I am? He wants to know. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Uh, he's showing us that it's wise to count the cost, uh, that you can't have both. You can't have all of Jesus and all of the world. You can't just say yes to his grace and forgiveness and use it as a license to go on sinning. How can you continue to live in rebellion against God out of all that he's done for you? 
He must be Lord. Who do you say he is to you? Why would you spend all of your energy to gain what you can't keep? You entered the world naked, and you'll depart from the world naked. You can't take anything with you that you brought here of the world. The things of this world, uh, they last a lifetime, but your soul lasts an eternity. There's a big difference. It is wise to count the cost, to consider your life, to think about what that means for all of eternity. All investment in this world over the things that we, we slave for and get so stressed about and are personally bothered by, uh, if it's not placed in eternity, it'll burn at the end of time. I can't imagine toiling and slaving away if I was still a slave to basketball for the rest of my life. It was exhausting. I hated going to practice sometimes. There were glimmers of hope and of happiness, but there wasn't joy. What are you a slave to that is not serving you well? What is the cruel master in your life that's not going to pay dividends, that won't deliver what you think it's promising? There's too much at stake to not invest wisely with your life. If, if Jesus is the Messiah, uh, he deserves full surrender. It's for your good to not follow him, to not live in obedience, to just do what he says. It hurts you. It hurts the people around you. Your sin has a ripple effect that you can't even see. It separates you from God. It displeases him. How could you intentionally hurt a relationship that's so dear to you? He deserves full surrender. It's for our good that he's willing to tell us the truth about what he asks from us. It's a high cost, but it's a high reward. Will you trade the world for your soul instead of the other way around? And so we see three very clear calls from Jesus here in this last portion of the passage. That's to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily, and to follow him. To deny yourself for me, for most of my life, my desires ruled how I lived. Desires were king. They sat on the throne. To deny yourself means to deny your desires. Your desires, they no longer sit on the throne. You don't sit on the throne of your life. To follow Jesus appropriately is to place him on the throne and for him to decide what you give yourself to, what relationships you get into, what's worth your time and your effort and your energy and your resources. To deny yourself is to say no to a life simply just trying to please your desires. And they won't satisfy like you think. They're a cruel master. Secondly, he says to take up your cross daily, to commit your old life to death. You see, before you received Christ, uh, you lived life your way for a long, long time. Uh, and it takes some time to be able to steer and turn a big boat. For most of the things in your life, once you start following Jesus, not everything is going to change overnight. And that's totally okay. Uh, in God's eyes, once you believe, you are completely justified. God sees you as if you've never sinned, but in practice, in experience, you don't actually live life that way. Uh, you will continue to battle with the fight against sin for the rest of your life. 
But what's most important is already declared in one, that God sees you now as a child that he dearly loves and doesn't hold your sin against you. Once you believe, he's thrown it in the bottom of the ocean as far as it can go. He has separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. He's turned his back to your sin and has chosen to remember it no more for his own sake. That when you take up your cross, this is how he sees you. But in practice, we need to learn to live into that new identity. Every day, I have to choose to die to my old lifestyle and to say yes to a new one that Christ wants to raise up in my life. A daily fight, putting myself on the cross, dying to my old lifestyle over and over and over again. And that's part of the journey. This is something we call sanctification, just becoming more like Jesus and who you are. It's a lifelong process that comes with lots of pain and lots of joy. But it is so worth it to be ever pleasing to your master. It's a lifestyle change. Uh, Denying yourself, taking up your cross daily. It's a new lifestyle. It's not just a one-time decision. And lastly, to follow me. To follow him. Take up your cross, to deny yourself, and to follow him. Will you commit to wanting to know what he's asking of you? Would you stare at him and look at his way? And in the scriptures and in talking to other people and as you hear more and more sermons, would you just be staring and looking for who Jesus is? What was his life like? And how can I be more like that? If I want to see the exact representation of God's being, I just stare straight at Jesus and I get to see God, an honorable life, exalted in his body. And that's how I learn to unearth my old lifestyle because I live so differently naturally from who Christ is. And so would you stare at him? Would you follow him? Commit to following him closely. Stare at him in his word, around his people. And so Jesus asks for full surrender of your life, and he is worth it. He is worth it. When you look at him and he asks you, who do you say I am? What is your response? Good teacher, sweet to me, get out of jail free card, Messiah and Lord. Who do you say he is? And so the cross, it, it was a real device used for, for torture and death and became symbolic for Christians to take up their cross to crucify their old sinful selves in order to experience the new life that God has for them. And so now I ask you, have you taken up your cross to follow him? Have you done that yet? If you haven't, what is holding you back from doing that for the first time? Your sin's a cruel master. It won't serve you like you think. Or if you have done that before, but other things are now welling up and stealing your attention and your focus, what's keeping you from going back and submitting again to taking up your cross daily? There's plenty of things that can just get in front of us and steal our attention. Uh, Maybe it's a relationship that we covet or desire. Uh, maybe it's wanting to be really close to your friends and just placing your all in who they, who they say you are and what they think about you. Maybe it's trying to kill it in school in your classes and trying to find worth from how your parents view your grades. Maybe it's through sports, like me, trying to find your worth in your performance. Maybe you just want to be cool. You, know, you want people to think, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, they like who I am. Is it things? Is it items? Is it popularity? All these things can very easily 
steal our attention and we stare at them instead of staring at Jesus and we miss out as a result. And so if you have an idol that comes to mind as a cruel master, would you write it down? And would you be bold enough to share in your life group after this? It's for your good. It's not to hurt you. God has pleasures at his right hand forevermore. He desires your fellowship and he wants what's best for you. So I'll end with this illustration. Uh, For the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great worth, he sells everything he has and he goes and he purchases the pearl. He does so in his joy. I can personally tell you that in my life, Jesus has been the pearl of great worth. And it has been very difficult uh, and very joyous to sell all else, to purchase the the great pearl in Jesus. Uh, But I'm not asking the crowds or others. uh, I'm asking you. Jesus is asking you, the pearl of great worth, the Messiah, who do you say I am? Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to to be here and highlight and just think about your gospel. Would we see you in new ways? Lord, we're so thankful that you are personal. You don't just make demands and expect us to live up to them. It is is your spirit that empowers us to, to become more like you. Lord, thank you so much for saving us, for for doing everything. When we were hiding and running away from you, you came and sought us out. You called our name. You brought us to yourself. And Lord, you wanted to bestow us with glory and honor and take away our shame. I pray that we'd be willing to count the cost and, and take this and receive what you're offering, Lord. Would we believe in the good gift of grace? Would we see that you're so worth selling all for? The cost is high, Lord, but the reward is clearly worth it. We, we thank you for who you are and all that you do for us and your love and your goodness. Pray that conversations tonight would be a blessing. People would feel the freedom to just be vulnerable and share where they're at. And would you just rid, rid the groups of any comparison or desire to please? Would they just feel loved?